open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Chapter 5 verse 1 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave, a, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. <clears throat> Lord, we ask that this truth would become reality in our lives more and more. We ask that Jesus Christ would rule and reign in our lives to the degree to where we would just look, act and like Him, Lord, love like Him. That all the decisions we make would be the decisions that You would make. The uh, priorities of our lives would be based on love and based upon Your kingdom and on Your throne and Your dominion and Your power and Your glory that we would live increasingly as blood-bought kids, taken out of the life of slavery and brought into the kingdom and filled with the Holy Spirit. Empower us, Lord, to walk like that. As we read these words, Lord, don't let them just bounce off our hardened hearts, Lord. Break through, pour water on us, soften the soil of our hearts, Lord. We need you desperately this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, we know, are, are all about who we are in Christ Jesus, what Christ has done for us. And that is exciting. You know, I used to read through Ephesians, and I'd read through it, and I'd go, man, that's just really lofty, a lot of big words. And Paul just took a lot of time drilling into the hearts of believers who they were because he knew that what they believed about themselves would play out in their actions. And you and I, who have been born again, have been called out of an old life and into a new life. And our old life, by the way, is still in our flesh, in our thinking, in our minds. And that's why Paul takes a long time, three chapters, half the book here in Ephesians, and 11 chapters in Romans, explaining who they were. Because who you are, who you believe you are, determines what you do and how you act. And quite often we, we want to go and we smack people and say, stop behaving like that. And we don't tell them why. Because you're no longer a Gentile. You're no longer ruled by your flesh. You now are ruled by the Son of God, by faith, by grace. Amen? That's who we are. And so we want to grow in that. So chapters 1, 3 tell us all about who we are in Christ. And chapters 4 through 6, which we're kind of in the middle of here, are about our response to all he has done. Chapters 4 through 6 are what we do in response to who we are, what he has done, and who he has made us in Christ. It's our duty to, in response to the doctrine, if you want to get theological, right? So chapter 4, verse 1, this is a review of what we just were in. Chapter 4, verse 1, begins our response to what to who we are in Christ and what he's done with a charge, a command for us. Then here's Paul, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live or to walk worthy of the calling you have received. You are now a child of the King of God. Now walk worthy of that calling, of all that God has just done for you, that he's just explained. And I have that piece of paper I handed out last week with all those rich promises and blessings and our new identity in Christ. And so, then he speaks of how we're to be completely humble and patient and bearing with one another in love. And how we've been made one and we're being built together through the Spirit so that the fullness of Christ is manifest in us and through us. In other words, our body collectively is the expression of Jesus Christ himself. That's, that's kind of what it is. The fullness of Christ is, is being manifest among us. Each and every part of us doing its part, bringing glory to the Father, loving each other deeply, not cutting each other off and throwing us to the, you know, whatever is going on there that happens. That's the old life. New life is love. New life is, is, is edification, building up truth being conformed to the Spirit of God working in us and through us, through the Word. Amen? And again, verse 17, Paul goes on, he commands us. He says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, I don't suggest on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their thinking. 
And then he speaks to the non-believers' way of, of life, being dominated by immorality, and how that has not what they were taught when they came to faith in Christ. When you came to Jesus Christ, you started to begin to, to be taught, that is the old life, this is the new life. Put off the old life, put on the new life. Amen? And if you don't have Christ in you, you have really quickly found out what religion is. Because you're just trying to do something that is not in you. And so it's very important as we minister to people, we need to know, are they born again? How do you tell? By the fruit. By the fruit. Paul will talk about this. They're born again, then you start working on who they are in Christ. But if they don't have the Holy Spirit within them, then you're just trying to get them to go to church. You're trying to get them to do the right thing. How many of you have experienced that in your life? And then, by God's grace, you were born again. And then, your new identity started to show on the outside. See, God doesn't want us to just do the outside, then the inside follows. He wants us to have who we are in Christ as the center thing of focusing on Him. And the, the, from the inside out, we change. Good form, amen? Boy, we could go out and talk about prison. We could talk about a lot of things there. But I won't. He says, we were taught, rather, verse 22, chapter 4, you were taught with regard to your former way to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness, that's right living and holiness, being separated from the world of what you once were. And so we're to put off the old way and put on the new way, Christ, right? In our thinking first, he says, being renewed in your minds, because guess what? What you think and what you believe will determine what you do. Beliefs are powerful. And this is why we're to be renewed in our minds with the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and you will act upon what you believe and so we must know who we are, thus chapters 1 through 3. And how we're to act is now what we're into, chapters 4 through 6. And so the rest of chapter 4, verses 25 through 31, just summarizing here the end of what we've been in, is how, is, is how we are to walk in our new lives with Christ. And so guess what? Tons of different people from tons of different backgrounds with tons of different expressions of sin now coming to Jesus Christ. And what does he say to them? Liars. You're now to be truth-sayers. You once lied. Does the church have liars in it? Yes. My gosh. So what do you think he wants to do with liars? He wants to flip them around. He wants to make them, people speak the truth to one another. Always. That's a, that's a work of God. And he says, angry, bitter people. Any angry, bitter people in the church? Been born again? What does he want to do with that? Angry people who are angry at people and they hold resentment towards people. He takes them reconcilers, bringers of peace. Wow. That's the gospel living out. That's the power of Christ in people. That is the witness to the world, our love for one another. Amen? Thieves. He says, you're not supposed to be stealing. What are you supposed to be doing now? You're going to go get a job. And you're going to get a job and you're going to work so much to you where you take care of your own. No, you're not a burden to everybody else. And you're actually going to go help those who are actually truly in need. You're going to become, instead of a taker, you're going to become a giver. That's what Jesus does. He takes thieves and takers and he makes them givers. You see this all through the Old Testament. Look what he did with Abraham. He took a fearful person and he made them in the father of what? Father of faith. Any of you deal with fear? You're fearful about everything? What do you think the Lord wants to do in your heart? I think he wants to make you a man or a woman of faith, great faith. By his spirit, he will do that. People who tear down with their words. You think there's people like that in the church? Think some of us struggle with that occasionally? Especially teachers? What do you think he wants you to do? With those words, instead of tearing down, he wants everything to come out of your mouth to build up people. Build up people. 
Amen? That's what, that's what the Lord Jesus does. And lastly, people who take vengeance, all the brawlers out there, people who take justice in their hands and start attacking, and I want mine, and I deserve, and, and whatever it is, the acting out, he wants those people to be marked by something else, be marked by forgiveness. Is that powerful or what? And that is the church of Jesus Christ, and that is based upon his grace and our new identity in him. And so when we look at ourselves and we go, man, I struggle with this. We are being taught to put off that and to put on. It's a choice. And it's something that the Holy Spirit within us empowers us to do as we are connected to the vine, as we are filled with his word, and we walk out in him in obedience. And I know that many of us, we feel like, man, I can never overcome whatever it is. And that is why Jesus says to people who are crippled, stretch out your hand, he doesn't stretch out their hand and tell them they're healed. He says, stretch out your hand. They have to choose to do it, and they start stretching out, and as they do it, the Lord heals them. You just have to obey him. This is how the Lord conquers addiction. This is how the Lord conquers anger. He con- con- whatever you got going on. Power of God in your life. So Christianity is a response it's a response to the grace of God. We're to be kind and compassionate to one another and forgiving each other just as in Christ for God, God forgave you. He's our example. And so Christianity is a response to the grace of God. Amen? Your life is a response. Worship is a response. Witnessing is a response. Fellowship is a response. Being in the Word is a response. Just singing to him as a response to his goodness of your, in your life, to his grace. If you don't know who you are, you're going to have trouble responding. If you don't know who he is and what he's done and all these things of who he is. And so, we are now people who keep in step with the Spirit of God. And this is marked by a key identifier in the life of the believer. Chapter 5, verse 1. What is that Christian? What does he look like? What's the chief marker when you look at a Christian? Chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore dearly love children and walk in the way of agape. Love. We know there's a bunch of different words in the Greek for love. There's brotherly love. There's uh, sensual love. It's not any of those. This is agape. It's not a guppy, it's agape. It's God's sacrificial love towards us unconditional love towards us. And we're to walk. And if we want to know what that means, how is that defined? How is love defined by God? He says, just as Christ loved us by feeling good feelings towards us. He loved us by by sending us a card. He loved us by what? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant and sacrifice to God. That's what love is. Love is is giving yourself fully to God for others. That's what love is. We're to follow God's example of love, which is the identifying marker of a person who's born again. Paul will further define what love is and love isn't in the second verse or the third verse here. But the picture here is Jesus who mimicked his father. Now Jesus is our example of how to walk in love. So we're to study Jesus. We're to spend time with Jesus. We're to pray. We're to, we're to find out what he would do in all these circumstances so that we mimic him. We follow his example. And that's what that word follow means in the Greek. It's mimic. And it's not like we're mimes. We're, we're, we're shadowing him. Whatever he does, we do. We do. Any of you who have been uh, in uh, parenting for any length of time, you realize your children mimic you. They do. Good and the bad and the ugly, don't they? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's true discipleship. They mimic the, the, the bad things and the good. They follow you. They laugh the way you laugh. They kind of like, and of course they turn out of teenagers, I understand. But you know, what I, you know what I'm saying. 
when we hire someone, we want them to mimic us because we want it done right. We want it done the way that's going to benefit the company or whatever it might be, correct? And so you have them shadow someone. And, and if you're an employer, you don't have them shadow someone who does it wrong. We want to shadow someone who does it right, right? And you take them, you go, you just, you just do what they do. And whatever they say, you, you know, just follow that person. That's the person right there that I want. And we, we promote and we hire those people because that's exactly the way it should be. And so Paul's just saying, mimic Follow the example that Christ gave us. That's what we Christian is. And that's what the term Christian came from. It was a mockery term. They go, Christian, you're, you're just a little Christ. Look at all you little Christians. You just do exactly what Jesus does. That was their, their mocking term that came out of when Paul was in whatever it was. Scholars. Antioch, thank you. I was going to say South Detroit, but that's not it. <laughs> but just as Jesus was the Son of God, we are now sons and daughters of God, and we are to walk in love as he did, right? And so we follow him. The identifying character in the, or the fruit in the believer is to walk or to live in love. And that's giving ourselves up to God, to let him rule, right? Obedience is God's love language. Did you know that? If you love me, then you will obey my commandments. There, you can't have one without the other. You can't say you love God and don't do what he says. If you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. And this is my commandment. My commandments aren't burdensome. They're that you love one another. How is that? As I have loved you. Jesus makes it really simple for people like Matt. Look at me, do what I do. I love that. And we're empowered by the Spirit to do it. But notice in the contrast of walking in God's love and the new life is the old life and the old way and the world's definition of love. Verse 3, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of purity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So we have God's definition of love. And then we have the world's definition of love. Sexual immorality is not walking in God's love. That's the way the world defines love. The word in the Greek is pornea, and it is where we get our word for pornography. The idea is sex outside of God's design for sex, which is between a man and a woman who are married. You have to define all this stuff these days. That's God's design for sex between one man, one woman, in the bond of marriage, nowhere else. That's what he designed it for because it paints a picture of Christ and his church and it also is to reflect relationship, sacrificial love, what true love is. You wonder why people shack up? Because they don't want to have commitment. Because they don't have love. We can go down the list. I don't want to go into all these things right now. We spent a lot of time in Corinthians. But, so sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, cheating on your husband or your wife, homosexuality, bestiality, pornography, whatever, all this is under that heading of sexual morality, por- uh, pornea. Right? And our society's riddled with it, correct? And church is infected by it. And says there's not going to be a hint of that stuff going on. What does that imply? You need to be holy. You need to put off that stuff. We're going to put off that stuff. Amen? That's old life. That's Gentile thinking. New life is in Christ. And so I say, hey, well, you know, I've been with my girlfriend or my boyfriend for this long, and, you know, we, we haven't had sex yet, but we've done everything else. Right? And so guess what he does? He goes on and goes, that's why Paul said there shouldn't be any hint of sexual morality or impurity. Who's further defining, and purity is all that other stuff. All that other stuff. Whatever you want to think. That's what he's talking about. Stimulating other people sexually, arousing them, flirting with them in that way is totally off limits for the child of God. That is married people stuff. Married people the way I defined it through the word, right? <laughs> one man, woman, there we go. 
But just to clarify further, Paul says there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or any kind of fooling around, none of that stuff, or of greed. And that word greed is also translated covetousness or lust. It's an exceedingly a desire for more. Don't be given over to all that stuff and want it more and more and more. Don't let, let, let it uh, co- uh, possess your life. That's what he's talking about. The, the desire to have more of all these uh, sexual exploits or experiences, etc. And so the reason why Paul warns them about all this is because he says, verse 3, that because these are improper for God's holy people. It's improper. It's not fitting anymore. The clothes don't fit. This is no longer who you are. You are no longer by identity sexually immoral. You are no longer by identity impure sexually. You are no longer a lustful person by identity. You are no longer under the world's definition of love. Chapter 4, verse 17 It says, So I tell you this, and insist on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, that they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. You're no longer separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of the hearts. You no longer have hard hearts. You're no longer living like the Gentiles do. You're no longer living that way, caught up in that stuff, having lost all sensitivity, They have given themselves over to sensuality, indulged in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed or covetousness. And so Paul's saying, that's that's not in your life anymore. It's not in your job definition. It's not in your new nature. That's your old life. No, you're being renewed in your mind. You're now a dearly loved child of God and walk in the ways of God's love, which is not based on self-satisfaction, which is what all that stuff is. but upon what is best for others. Boy, that's love. And that's what marriage is about. Many of you long-timers in marriage know that love is redefined quickly as to what is best for the other person. And that is why divorce is incredibly prevalent even among the churches because we have the world's definition of what love is. That it's about my happiness but you and you have a person, when you have a husband, this is what he's going for later on. How, how does this love play out in relationships? How do husbands and wives live this out? He's going to talk about that. Slaves and masters, all this type of stuff, working. We're to love each other deeply. We're to give so the other person has the best. Like Christ did for us. While we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. So oftentimes in marriage, it will be one-sided sacrificial, unconditional, agape love like Christ loved us. That sounds like the cross sometimes, doesn't it? That's where love is expressed, where love, God's love is truly shown uh, in, in this context, in, in sex even. And we've talked about that more later on. Uh, I mean, we, we've talked about that in the past and so, so no hint of sexual immorality among you. By the way, this is a big issue for the churches of God, huge. You think we have it bad in America. I mean, you think like we're number one exporter of pornography and, and all this type of stuff and we're hypersexualized. And You think we got it bad in America. They had it bad in Ephesus. They had a temple to Diana that was four times the size of the Parthenon. And... They would go there and they would worship and at the end of their worship service they would have sex with a young boy or a young girl. And that's associated with their worship because they were worshiping pleasure. That's what they would do. State-sanctioned stuff like this. Horrible. And so people are coming to Christ out of this culture and Paul's telling them, That's old life. This is new life. And he draws a clear line in the sand of what it is to follow the Lord. The culture around them was still evil, but they were now born again. It had to be taught them that there was a clear-cut difference, a line in the sand regarding their old life and their new life. And Paul let them know the difference without apology. Amen? 
And he goes on, verse 4, Nor should there be a senity, foolish talking or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And so he's explaining a bunch of things that are done in the old life. And he says, now what God wants to make you, instead of someone who says all these things and acts this way, this is what's coming out of your mouth, obscenity, coarse joking, all that stuff. Now, thanksgiving is going to replace that. You see what he's saying? He keeps doing this, back and forth, back and forth. Explaining old life, then new life. He's giving contrast. No more obscenity, no more foolish talking, no more coarse jesting. This is still in the context of sexual morality here. So it's not just sexual acts, but it's sexually immoral talk and joking, etc. There shouldn't be there should be purity in our speech. There should be a wisdom in our speech, not foolishness. There should be a redeemed sense of humor. Amen. Why? Because all the obscenity, foolish talking, coarse joking is out of place. Paul says it's unfitting. It doesn't fit anymore. That's not who you are now in Christ Jesus. You are to put off those old dirty rags and to put on Christ. Thankfulness is something Paul identifies as the new way of speaking. That's walking in love. A person who is thankful, a person who is walking in the love of God will be thankful and have thankfulness flowing out of their mouths. From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's always interesting to just talk to someone and let them talk for a few minutes. You find out a lot about them and where their heart is and who they are. That's counseling 101, by the way. You just listen for a while. And people start revealing the secrets of their hearts and you find out what they're struggling with and all these types of things. And there they are. What do you know? But a person who's walking in love, they're going to have thankfulness. How many of you like being around thankful people? How many of you are edified by thankful people? You know, it's pretty funny. Uh, we we're blessed to be able to be with the sweets this Thanksgiving. Lori's all right, everybody. Say what you're thankful for. And I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, <laughs> like the vault of my mind is like, what am I thankful for? You know, I'm thankful for the word of God, everybody. You know, it's like, but I mean, seriously, and normally every day I'm just like, oh Lord, this awesome tree and look at your beauty and man, thank for my kids and the church and it just, it just flows. And it, but it's not just something that has to be put on. But what's so much more easy to come out of my mouth is negativity and so much more uh, prevalent and in, 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 in available and accessible is, is, are things that do not glorify God and, and, and grumbling, complaining. Lord, change me. Anybody else? Just me or a couple of you? Okay, gosh, yes. We'll pray. <laughs> we put off that stuff. Why? Verse 5. For this you can be sure, no immoral, no impure or greedy person, you know, lusting person. Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. It is impossible to be born again and not to be convicted by the Holy Spirit in these areas. People who live like this, this is their mode of operation in life. They're bearing the fruit of someone who is not born again. Okay? We don't sit there and judge whether someone is saved or not. Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. And so when we see people who have, have a sense, uh, they're living in these things, they're, they've got sexual morality going in their life, they're, they're, uh, there's just no conviction in their heart. It doesn't, doesn't mean we don't have struggles in these areas. Obviously, that's why he's talking to them, because they're struggling. But there's just, they're just comfortable in these things. That's how they live. Because when you're born again, you've got the Spirit of Christ in you, and he's going to be fighting with Romans. If you want to read Romans, he's going to be fighting with that old way of life. And you're not going to be satisfied when you tell a lie, and you're not going to be satisfied when you're sexually immoral. You're not going to be, there's going to be a deep sense of conviction. The Holy Spirit's going to go, that's not at home anymore. That's not who you are. And there will be a struggle, and there will be a fight. That's what we're all involved in putting on Christ, allowing him to live, allowing the victory, the new identity come forward. Amen? But 
If I see people who say they're Christians and who live in these areas with no conviction, no struggle, no grief, but rather comfortably identify with these actions, that evidence would seem to suggest that they are not born again or are not saved and have no hope and no inheritance. And that's what Paul's talking about. They have no inheritance. Remember the earlier chapters? You were far away. You've been brought near. You've been brought to inheritance. This is what you got going on. You're now new kingdom, God's kid. You're grafted in. It's going to be displayed in how you act. It has to be. It has to be. The proof that we are his is that we have the spirit of God within us and he convicts us of sin. He empowers us to overcome sin because that's Christ. Empowers us to live as children of God. He takes liars and makes them into truth sayers, angry men and women into reconcilers, thieves into givers, sexually immoral into sexually sanctified people. He makes heathens into the holy. And Paul is saying that there will be a change and there will be a, the character of Christ in the life of a Christian or they are not his. You're still dead. That's how you're living, Amen. Christ will live out in his body. He will. So the proof of who you are will be in what you do. And this is what it means to believe that Jesus is Lord. He rules over you now. Now, how many of you, how many of you on day one, when you, became, when you gave your life to Christ, when you, when you were born again, you just were automatically mature? You had all this down pat. Those are the words sanctification. You were saved. You were made right. Your identity, you were justified before God. Theology here. You were made right before God. It was just as if you'd never sinned. That's who you are in God's presence. But now you have a new identity. Now he's going to teach you how to walk in that new identity. That's sanctification. The Holy Spirit working out Christ, working out your salvation through your life until that day when you are finally in his presence. Uh, you're, you're done. You're taken out of the oven. We're done. Right? This is what we're moving towards. And we should, we should increasingly uh, reflect Christ in our life more and more. We should be growing more and more in love individually and, by the way, as a church. And Paul has no problem as a brother in the Lord saying, this needs to stop, this needs to start. Why would he do that? To control them? Because he loved them. And that's the big motivator, you know, Trying to, trying to get people to move to do what we want them to do? No, we want them to glorify Jesus Christ. This is good. This is what he said. This is what brings you life. That's old life. This is new life. Come on. And so he says the proof of chapters 1 through 3 is going to be in chapters 4 through 6 of the actions of your life. Verse 6, And let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, all the things he's talking about, God's wrath has come down on those who are disobedient. We don't like talking about God's wrath. I don't like talking about God's wrath. How many of you like talking about God's wrath? No, I want to talk about the love and the forgiveness and, you know, and oh man, he's just so patient with me. And that's all true. But God's also saying he's a, he's a God who's just. And his justice will be poured out on those who are not in Christ. Who live after these things. That's how they're identified. Remember, that they're dead. And that, the reason why they're spiritually dead, it's, it's played out in what they do. But if you're alive, it's going to be played out in what you do. And so let no one deceive you with empty words, which tells you what? People are going to do what to you? Deceive you with empty words. In this culture, there was that probably Gnosticism going around that John, the Apostle John talked about, which basically said, the only thing important is your spirit. Your body and all that stuff, it's bad. You can, you can do whatever you want with it. It's just important that your spirit's right with God. I'm really paraphrasing. I can get a lot deeper, but I won't. And so it's, it's cool if you go ahead and you sleep around and you, and you do all this stuff because that's just your body. Who cares about your body? You know, your body wants what the body wants, so give it what it wants. But your spirit, that's the part that God wants to be in tune with. And that was the teaching that was going around. And you're going, well, that's just crazy. 
well, what about our definition of love? A false teaching. Love is just two people who love each other. That's not what love is. And yet that's exactly what we as Christians are biting on in this culture. It's a false love. Love is a sacrificial love according to the will of God. And he clearly defines sexual morality as something that is not love. And yet we worship it in our culture and we say that's what love is. Just let people love each other. It's not up to me to let or not love. I just proclaim the truth of what the Lord says. And we, as born-again people, are to love the way he loves. But that culture can infect this culture as it has and will, because Paul is dealing with all these things within the church. He's having to combat these thoughts and ideologies. And so we, as the people of God, need to be centered on the Word of God and be led by the Spirit of God in these things and address them accordingly. And it takes wisdom. It takes discernment. It takes truth being said. So Paul combats this idea. Let no one come in and deceive you with empty words, these Gnostics who are coming in and telling them, it's okay. Don't let mom come in and tell you, oh, you, God won't judge you for that. We got people who love us. They do, and they're good heart in general, but they'll tell us stuff that will lead us straight to hell. Uh, am I offending anybody? Yes, this is Attack Mom Sunday. <laughs> No, but I mean, we've all had people like that in our lives. I've been that person. Anyone? No, we want to be like a Paul here. John addressed this in his Gospels to, uh, to the church, the, his books. First John chapter 1 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he says is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. It's going to be demonstrated in what you do. In another place, you see a brother in need and you don't help them. The love of God is not in you. You say you love someone, you see him in need, you walk away, guess what? You don't have the love of God in you. John says it's got to be displayed in what you do with your body because that's the proof of the resurrection, the power. Power over sin, power over death, new life, love flowing out. Amen? That's who we are. That's our witness. There will be a continual conformity to the person of Jesus in your thinking and therefore your actions. And so don't listen to people who tell you otherwise. And Paul says, let no one deceive you with those empty words because that's where God, the thing, uh, because of such things, God's wrath comes from on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Don't be joined with them in these things. You were once partners with them then, but now you were far off, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. You were once darkness. He didn't even say in darkness. He says you were darkness. You were the darkness. Thank you, Paul. Darkness has nothing to do with light. Did you know that? When light comes in contact with darkness, darkness flees and it exposes what's hidden. You are light in the Lord. Live or walk as children of the light. What does that look like? Verse 9, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, a right living, and truth. What God says is true about stuff. What God says is, is truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. One of my favorite verses, and this is living in the light. Paul exhorts them to find out what pleases in the Lord. Do you know what makes the Lord happy? Do you know what your, makes your best friend happy? Do you know what your, makes your wife happy? Do you know what makes, you know, I mean, just go down the line. You know because you're in relationship with them. You've got to find out what pleases the Lord. That's part of the joy of being a Christian. You get to go find out what makes God happy. That is spirit-led stuff. That is awesome. How do we find out what pleases Him? You get to, you get to know Him. You study him. You be with him. You be with people who are like him. You worship him. Context of the church. But mostly, the most important central thing is this word. He says in John chapter 15, 7 and 8, if you abide in me, abide. If you make your home in me, if you're dwelling with me, and my words abide in you, my words have a home in your heart, your life. You will ask 
what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Is that not a cool promise? You make your life with me, and my words are in life with you, you're going to start asking what you is going to flow out of your heart, and it will be done for you. I like that. And by this, my father is glorified. He's made very sad. No, he's pleased. This is what makes God's heart happy. When you hang out with him, his words in you, you start asking him stuff according to his will, and he gives it to you. Is that not the definition of a parent? Love that. And by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. You know, I wanted to share real, real briefly in closing that God is so faithful and so good. I was uh, spending time with the Lord last month and in the book of John, meditating on, on those things we were ju- I just read. And, and I just said, Lord, I, I'd like to teach more. And you guys are like, oh gosh, don't answer that prayer. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I said, I'd like to teach more. And that was my heart's prayer. I said, Lord, I just, I don't have much, but what I have, I want to give it to you and I want you to use more. That's a, this maybe sounds a selfish desire. And then I prayed it on a Sunday morning the first Sunday of the month, I don't know how many of you were here. I just said, Lord, would you expand my teaching ministry? I said that. No one probably is going to remember what's over. Okay, Doug does. So right when that happened, uh, so I go home, and yes, I checked my phone while I was driving home. I, I, okay, email. There was an email. Confession. We're going to strike this from the record. Um, but it was, it was a guy from Kenya who had been on a website just so happened right when that was happening, when I was praying. And he asked, hey, do you want to come to Kenya and, and teach and preach and all that stuff? I'm like, what in the world? Okay, do you want money? And I checked it out, did Google Analytics. It actually, I haven't gotten back to him yet, okay? But I've just been waiting on that one. I said, wow. But what I w- had been praying was just in general, Lord, would you allow me to teach more? And that happened. But I had specifically prayed that I'd be able to teach the Christian Aid Center. And so... The following Sunday, John Rejikowski, the chaplain at Christian Aid Center, walks is at, w- visits our church. And he walks in up to me after church. He goes, Matt, I don't want you to think this is why I'm here, because he and I know each other. He goes, I don't want you to think this is why, I'm, why we're here, but I'd, I'd really like you, you know, to consider coming and teaching at the Christian Aid Center. And I said, John, that's exactly why you're here. <laughs> I've been praying for this. Like, we didn't get into it too much then, but I just was like blown away. I mean, and there's other things that are going on that we're going to share with you shortly about what God's doing with the church and, and things just like this. Hang out with Jesus. Put his word in your heart. Ask what's on your heart. He's going to do things like this. And guess what? I just need to walk in obedience. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to be stepping in at 9 a.m. and hanging out with a, a group of guys, all sinners needing Jesus and need your prayer. God's good. He's faithful. Praise God. He answers the prayer. This is what makes him happy. Find out what delights the Lord. Do you think that makes God happy? Yeah. Delights my heart. Find out what pleases him. This is the thrust of our mission and our vision for the church, to glorify God. What glorifies God? What pleases his heart? And that's what January and all these January and February, we're just going to... We're going to ask for God to revolutionize us in, in, in our church in this way. More in January, but verse 11. It says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light comes, becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There are only so many lights in Walla Walla. There's only so many lights in this world. Don't get caught up in darkness. You are light. Instead, we are to expose darkness. We're to call evil, evil. But the truth and love, but also it really just will be shined by who we are. That's not an excuse not to share the gospel. Both happen. But this is the new reality of who we are in Christ. We are the light of the world. Light shines in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, John 1 declares. John 3 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 
our light, our love, our truth, his truth, his light, his love is going to expose darkness for what it is. And we have to know that darkness does not like to be exposed. Amen? People who are living in sin and trespasses and are dead to God do not want to have the light of God shine upon their lives and their deeds. They just don't. How many of you really like that to happen before you came to Christ? But this is what Christ does. He shines light in darkness. And this is what Christ does through us if we are walking in the light, if we are light It shines light in darkness. And then by God's grace, those walking in darkness see a great light. They see the light of lights through us. Amen? Verse 14, and this is why it said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13 says, But as many as received him, who have received the light to him, he has given he gave them right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were not born I'm sorry who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh not earthly born nor of the will of man but of God you were born of God the light shined in the darkness darkness became light that's what it is to be a Christian we've been illuminated by the spirit of God praise the Lord Amen that's who you are you're the light of the world I'm the light of the world say it I'm the light of the world Amen. We are like the moon. He is the sun. And the more the earth gets, the world gets in the way between us and and, and the, the sun. The less we shine, but the more the world is out of the way and we have direct contact with the sun, the more we reflect the fullness of his glory and his light. And that is what it is to be a Christian. To glorify God, to reflect him, to magnify him to the world through our lives and our actions. That is who you are now. We walk like it. Your walk is your evangelism. It's the gospel that makes dead men alive, that he turns darkness into light. Be very careful then, in closing, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So live wise. Redeem the time in these evil days. Understand what the Lord's will is. And here it is. Ready? Here's part of it. Verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, that is, living foolishly. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the old life is being, is being possessed by being drunk. And what do drunk people do? They do karaoke. It's like some circle of hell. I know, it's just horrible. And everybody's, no one's edified. No one ever. If you ever do that, stop. I've done it. No, I know we're all laughing, but, but this is the picture. Don't get drunk, which leads to stupid stuff. That edifies no one. But the opposite is be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with him, because guess what the actions are, are when, you, when you get filled with the Spirit of God? You're going to speak to someone in Psalms. You sing, instead of singing weird karaoke stuff, start speaking Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, things that edify and build up one another. So there's going to be an edifying influence on the people around you. Sanctified karaoke, so to speak, right? You're speaking things that are going to build them up. And there's also going to be thanksgiving to the Lord. You're going to be blessing the Lord and blessing others. And that's the thing. This isn't a lesson on whether you should drink or not drink. He's saying be filled with the Holy Spirit. That implies what? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Several ways, but one that I, that I know for sure you ask ask and he'll give it respond he says to keep in step with the spirit i think that's the idea stay in unity with the lord respond to what he's saying into your heart and you're going to be you're going to allow that reflection to flow more so the answer to all this is are you connected to jesus christ 
Is he your life? Is he your vision? Is he fully what you're looking at in making all your decisions from and about? Is there something in your heart that's being grieved, something you're doing? Something that's been said this morning? God wants to free you. He has freed you from that. You have a new identity in Christ Jesus if you're born again. If not, you need to start there. You need to say, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. And by the way, it's his will to say yes, come into my family. But you've got to be born again. You have a regeneration, but you resist that Holy Spirit, and you're going to have hardness of heart. You're going to have a callousness. You're going to have a, a darkness in your life. You're going to be jaded. You're going to, there's just not going to be life flowing. Keep in step with the Spirit. Confess your sins, your faults to one another, actually. Be in fellowship with the brethren. Be in the Word. Give up the life of the flesh. Embrace the life of the Spirit. Step out in areas of faith. Things that have eternal value. Things that please the Father's heart. And maybe you're like me sometimes and you go, I don't know what to do. That's what we're here for. That's what God puts you in a family. Who am I? Come here. Let's talk about this. Let's pray for you. May God just pour out his spirit upon you this week. The Lord just live his life through you. Love one another deeply. Walk in love. Keep the unity of the spirit. He died and bled for you. He loves you. He's brought you to a family. May God just pour it out upon you. You're loved. You know that? He's called you to a life of love. And he gives, he's given you the Holy Spirit to live it out. Lord, we love you. We want to thank you. We want to love you by showing it through our lives. And so these things that are, are uh, weights upon us, Lord, teach us to walk in you. Lift our hearts. Bring us to the green pastures. Bring us to the still waters. Restore our souls. Help us to walk worthy of the calling that you've called us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.